Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. Greetings and welcome back to Ag State of Mind, a member of the Global Ag Network. I'm your host, Jason Meadows, and today on the show, we have Chris Miner. Chris does a lot of things. She is an incredible woman with so much background in this space, in mental health, in uh, restorative justice, in equine-facilitated therapy, just a, a truly fascinating woman. I I'm feel very proud to to talk to her. Uh, she has a couple current roles. Uh, her her newest role is with the South Dakota Grassland Coalition, but she also is working in horsepower by providing equine facilitated learning and counseling. Um, she's a restorative justice consultant for Generation Red Road, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Uh, she just does a lot of really great things, and she's had her own experience, her own struggles. As, as we'll talk, I'll let her explain that to you in the interview, but uh, really a fascinating woman, and I, I'm really happy to get back talking more about mental health and, and some of the solutions. I, I feel like this episode, we talk more about actual mental health and therapy and things than we have in a long time. So I'm really excited for that. I'm really excited to get back talking about that stuff because it, 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 my, my mission with this is talking about solutions. And I felt justified in talking to Chris because I've always said that I feel horses are therapeutic animals. And I've, I've felt that my entire life growing up. You know, my dad had quarter horses growing up. I was raised around them. Just a really, uh, and to, to find out that there is actual scientific data showing the actual therapeutic effects of horses is is very comforting to me because um, I can tell you it's real and I, I had a really good time talking about especially that part up with Chris um, and I get to tell some stories on my dad which um, are always fun for me because uh, it shows that mental health has always been an important thing and we're just 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 because we're just now starting to talk about it um, some of the things my dad did with horses uh, were are kind of kind of proof of that back so many years ago. So, all right. Well, I won't spend any more time explaining myself. Uh, stick around after the episode to let you know what, uh, what we've got coming up. Chris, thank you for coming on here today. I really appreciate taking the time. I know we had some scheduling conflicts. I seem, I feel like I start the, the podcast out with that conversation often, but I mean, when you deal with people in different parts of the country and sometimes in this podcast, different parts of the world, that is, I think, just part of it. So uh, I'm thankful that we were able to finally get together here today. Yes, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, well, I think... And a lot of times, like I, I have to kind of go back and rehash how we got connected. But if I remember right, you reached out over Twitter and wanted to share a little bit about your own story and about what you, the work you're doing. And, you know, I appreciate that. I love that. Uh, Deanne Frieders, who was on a couple of weeks ago, she was actually the first person to reach out like that. And, you know, it makes me feel really good that my message is getting out there in an organic matter. And so I really appreciate you reaching out to me. Well, the mental health and ag piece, that's not like there's a lot of it out. So when I saw that, I was just connected to it right away. Yeah. And we have us working in this space. I think we have like a bond, like preformed, you know, cause like when you start talking about it, you can just you know, boom, it's like, it's the conversation, the, 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 the context, the pretext is already there and you can just kind of go ahead and run with it. And it's, it, it's been really nice. That's been one of the greatest blessings of my work in this podcast is being able to form such deep relationships with people so quickly. Yeah. Those common matters that are common and close to the heart. It's easy to create that common unity or community around that. Sure, sure. So for the people who may not know who you are, I'd just like for you to 
give you, you do so much and you have such a great background, but give everyone just a little bit of, of you know, where you grew up, how you grew up, you know, and where all of that kind of led you to where you are today. I know that's kind of a long, you know, like there's a lot of, a lot of stops along that road for you, but, uh, you know, summarize it as best as you can. All right. I spent most of my childhood on a ranch in South Dakota. And before we moved here, we came out every summer for vacation. So I have pictures of myself as a toddler on horseback or uh, riding the tractor with my uncle while he was raking hay. And mm -hmm. when we moved out, I mean, I just, I took to the ranch like a fish to water. I loved 4-H, the animals, the uh, having my own horse. I was grandpa's girl that he would teach me things about the plants and uh, just I don't know, it was just very comfortable. But then as I got older in high school, it was like, oh, I have to get out of this small town. You know, that yeah. was that was important. And I went off to college. Um, I think I was going to be a nurse and maybe a math teacher. And uh, then I figured out that I would get a master's degree in counseling. I did a TV production undergrad and did uh, master's in counseling. And then that took me down this career that went to human services, child protection, juvenile justice, the bulk of my work then in restorative justice, which I think we'll touch on more later. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then when dad decided to move to town and thought he was going to maybe sell the ranch, I was like, oh no, I'll come home. And that's been kind of exciting. I came home. I was married three years. It'll, I'll be home five years in October. And so just putting roots down as a rehomer, I think they call us. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? Like, cause I feel like my story is somewhat similar as far as how, you know, I wanted to get away. You know, I, like you, I, I enjoyed, I grew up that way. I enjoyed it. Then once I got to high school and thinking about what was going, what my next step was, I couldn't get away fast enough. And, you know, I left not very far. I went to St. Louis, which is just less than two hours down the road from me and went to college. And then when I was there, like, wow, I've got to get back home as fast <laughs> as I can. And I mean, I moved directly back home after college and, you know, started, you know, uh, I didn't start, I actually had a, a small cow calf operation while I was in college that my dad helped me with. Um, so, I mean, it was right there waiting for me when I came back. So it just, it, it is just always amazing to me because lots of people speak that same story, getting out of the small town life and then wanting to get right back to it. It's just, <laughs> it, it's just funny. I'm always, you know, I'm always, you know, just intrigued when people have that similar story. Yeah. And my, I raised my daughter on my own. So for holidays, there weren't in-laws that we would go to. We would always come home to the farm. And like when she graduated high school, her senior pictures, she wanted to be out here on the farm. She wanted to have a horse in one of the pictures. And so there was always that connection for her too, that she had roots here on the farm. So that was kind of right neat too. Sure. So what part of, what part of South Dakota are you? So I'm practically in Nebraska. I'm in the South Central part. So okay, okay. If you miss my so, turn, you hit the gravel, and the gravel is Nebraska. That's right. That's right. I remember you telling me that. So you went to South Dakota State. Is that correct? Yes, SDSU and Brookings. Go Jackrabbits. Okay, right. Yes, because I had some not my family, but my my brother's in laws. They are from southwestern Minnesota, and I lots of them went to South Dakota State as well. So um, that's because it's the closest school to them. Yeah. I went there for Girl State in high school and then fell in love with the campus and just decided that's where I was going to go. Very cool. Very cool. So you mentioned it earlier and a term that I was not even and still am not very familiar with, and that's restorative justice. Uh, talk to me about that. What is that? And, you know, how did you come upon being involved in that and teaching that? And, you know, what just what is it? Sure. So it's a philosophy and approach that believes that we can repair harm and conflict between individuals. And you can do that in a school sitting setting. You can do it in the criminal justice setting all the way into prison, if people aren't even going to leave the prison, how they are in community and getting down to values that things like being honest, trustworthy, reliable, stop harming other people. And what might it be inside of you that you need to heal to not harm others? And so it's a process that gives victims the voice and it lets them initiate what they want out of a process and they deal directly with the offender, but the community is also present. So it can be any like 
I've done it around someone smeared pizza on someone's windshield and all the way up to um, rape, traffic fatality. Um, we even did talking circles around suicide for people who were impacted by the loss of a loved one and those who had attempted to take their life. Okay, that's that's really interesting. So, is that a is that a, some sort of training that you you obtained throughout your education? Is it something that you know you you did after college? I, how how did you come upon that? Well, luckily, I worked in Rochester, Minnesota, and Olmstead County brought mm -hmm. in training, so I was exposed to some training early on. And where I lived in Wisconsin was so close to Minnesota mm -hmm. that Minnesota kind of led the nation at one time with restorative justice leaders. So it was real organic that this training happened, Dr. Mark Umbright from the University of Minnesota. And the base of a lot of the belief system comes from when people lived in community, before there were court systems, before there were jails, they had to figure out how to be in harmony and have those social relationships and how to repair that harm and, and stay in community. So it's, it's kind of like teachers that take to it are teachers that have maybe done wilderness expeditions because when you're out hiking through the woods with kids and somebody's upset, you can't send them to the principal's office. You've got to sit around the campfire and figure it out and sort of how do we make amends? How do we move forward? And how has your behavior impacted other people? So it's a lot of, obviously a lot of conflict management is, is, is what it boils down to. Yeah, it's really good. What we teach in schools is let's have a talking circle in your classroom, give, give every student a voice. They feel more connected to community. The more connected you feel, the less likely you are to harm someone else. So then if those incidents of harm are less likely to happen, that community is there. And then kids understand this talking circle process. So when we wanna use that circle to repair harm, they get that when I have the talking piece, it's my turn to share. I can speak from the heart. I'm gonna be listened to, I'm gonna be validated. I can put my ideas out there. And sort of the same thing that, let's just say that you and I were in a classroom and we were having conflict. You might understand that it, it you know, when you pull on my pigtails or whatever it might be that you're, you're picking on me or something, that it also bothers our friend Susie because she didn't get to do her reading time. Or we find out that you came in after recess picking on me while you had just been picked on out at the playground by somebody else. And so we get this backstory and people behave outwardly how they're feeling inwardly. And so we sort of tend to that to help repair harm. This is really interesting stuff, let me tell you, because like I'm having like these, you know, visions, epiphanies while we're talking. And I think of it as, you know, when we, when we're dealing, and I'll, I'll relate it to, you know, one's mental health, especially with anxiety. When you kind of act out on your anxiety, you affect not only yourself, you affect not only who you are directing that to, but you're indirectly affecting lots of other people too. Take for instance, we have a husband and wife scenario. And, you know, I'll be, I'll be open and honest, this is something that very well could have happened to me. And, you know, a, a husband, you know, whether in, in his job, um, or a wife in their job, you know, I mean, there's, there's no discrimination here, is very anxious about what is going on at work at what's going on on the farm what's going on somewhere else and they manifest that toward their spouse you know it's not just the spouse that feels like it's the kids it's the in-laws it's your own parents it's all these people who may be involved with you you know so it, it's this ripple effect that is happening here and under getting people to understand that with you know with their own stress management is super important to, I think, understanding who all that they're affecting, it's super important to help them realize that they're not just affecting themselves, they're not just affecting the person they're directing to, it's a, it's a huge ripple effect. Right, and so one of our taglines is a change of behavior by a change of heart. And so you get to have yeah, this change like of that. heart. Yeah, when you hear someone else's story, when you can feel safe, that spouse can feel safe to hear from their spouse how they are affecting them. And sometimes it takes like someone else's mom to tell a story that you hear it differently than if it's your own mom. 
And mm -hmm. so the storytelling of, we sort of put the topic in the center of the circle, not one person as the bad guy or anything, but the topic, and then we talk about it. Maybe we share a time I've done something, I've spoken to someone in a way I'm not very proud of, or there's a time that I held back what I wanted to say that was harsh and did better with it. Like, like how do we do that? And people relate stories of being effective or ineffective at that, and then we learn from those stories. So people aren't being told what to do or how to behave. They're sort of allowed to pick it up from other people's stories. Yeah, that's, I, I really, I mean, I'm really intrigued by this because, I mean, I mean, I may be wrong, but is this, is this widely practiced? I mean, in, in these sorts of circles? Well, there's been tremendous growth because I've been doing it for so long. For right, 22 right, years, I've right. been doing it. So I've seen it really take off in schools. But what's a little tough for me, because I'm sort of hardcore, like I, I've, I've been in prisons, I've seen people hug the person who drove the vehicle that killed their mother. I mean, I've, I've seen men cry in circles in prison, and, and it's not safe to cry in prison. Sure, um, right. And, and yeah, and do this emotional healing pieces. I've, I've seen people adopt the person who murdered their son as her spiritual son now. I mean, it's just, wow. yeah, it's phenomenal. That's really powerful. It is. It is. So I get it. I've been exposed to that. And then it gets in schools and it sort of gets a little bit diluted. And so sometimes I have a hard time with the interpretations as it's gotten to the masses, if you will. Okay. So when you say it's gotten into schools, are you talking about into like school curriculums? Yeah, that it's actually, it's this change of behavior by a change of heart. So instead of punishing kids and pushing kids out of school, um, attachment and connection is important to your ability to learn. And so kids with trauma are acting the most disrespectful and they're actually the ones that need connection most. And so mm -hmm. the kids that okay. were, yeah, the kids that were pushing out of the school, like suspension and expulsion, then they end up in the prison system. And the first time you go to prison, it actually makes you worse. And we know that there's a disproportionate amount of our uh, black and native students that are are getting pushed out of school to prison pipeline, they call it. So they were bringing restorative in as a way to deal with misbehavior in school that would keep everybody safe and build community and reduce those discipline practices that actually can cause more harm than good. Mm, that's really interesting because it's really challenging to the traditional way of, I guess, punishment or um, behavior modification in the school system, you know, because maybe it removes that sense of fear. And, you know, fear can be powerful, but it can also be negative as well. I mean, I think a lot of times it actually is probably more negative. And, you know, maybe taking a little bit of that fear away is, especially to people who honestly, otherwise don't have much of a chance. And I, I think that's really powerful and it's really a great way for, for behavior modification. Mm -hmm. I think so too. And I actually have a, this example that came up in my life. I worked with some kids in an alternative school. So they weren't mm -hmm. making it in a mainstream. They were in the alternative school. Maybe it was social, emotional, maybe it was drug use, whatever it was that they were in this setting. And we did, uh, we took them through the two-day circle training, which is really sitting in circle and being talking about the concepts and the kids loved it. And then we had community volunteers. So every other Wednesday, we were at the Restorative Justice Center. They came over after school and they earned, like they got a credit recovery. I think they got a social studies credit or something for participating. And fast forward life, there was a young woman named Sarah that participated and fast forward, that's not a real name, but- sure. Right now, today, I have a cancer diagnosis, and it's been on Facebook, and she reached out to connect with me through my daughter, saying that I probably wouldn't have survived high school because I was suicidal, and I wouldn't have graduated if it hadn't been for your mom. And this young single mom, now years later, is sending hand sanitizer and Clorox wipes and a little, oh, wow. um, yeah, and an inhaler, a chemo inhaler that smells like lavender and it's, it's so touching because i mean i just i just didn't know the depth of that connection 
it's amazing the connections you could and how I mean how long lasting that was and you know it's just it, it's it's always wonderful to be able you know you may not be able to reach necessarily the masses or change the entire world but you can change the world for one person and you know that's that's enough and that's wonderful and to be able to you know reap the benefits of that is is really cool yeah that she remembered that i think it was like yeah. 11 11 years and that's something then. yeah it's crazy so you actually kind of made a really perfect segue into what we i wanted to talk about next and it's about your own personal struggles something that has you know your life has been really crazy lately i mean i don't know of another way to say it there's you've had a lot go on and mm -hmm. so i would like to if you know as much as you're comfortable share that with with listeners about what what's been going on with you with your family and you know how you've been able to kind of make it to the next day and beyond that <laughs> yeah so 10 months ago on july 16th my husband took his life yeah and that was so shocking and very traumatic but what i was equipped with because i had mentioned it with restorative justice is i had done these talking circles and i actually trained people on trauma after suicide and how people are affected by that and i just i walked with several people through that journey so i had this whole again you know five years ago these people in my life that were immediately there for me that i really knew they understood and so and it was quite shocking to people that here the person who provided them their help was now on you know needing help from it so that helped me tremendously and then i guess i you know i mean you just have to pick up and and go on and when the family was here and sort of saying like well because i'm on my father's i'm it's on my family farm my mm -hmm. our ranch and mm -hmm. that my dad would take the contract back and i'm like no stop talking about that i just lost my husband i'm not going to think about losing the farm mm -hmm. or even if it goes back to my dad like like that to me was a real boundary um, so I kind of deal with, can a woman live by herself and take care of 960 acres? My answer is yes. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, yeah. So in the midst of that, then at about the nine month mark, I was diagnosed with cancer oh and I had no idea that I was sick and I had a little bump on my head that I went to the dermatologist and uh, the bone underneath there was gone because it, there's a lesion that comes from mm multiple myeloma and i found out that i was anemic and my kidneys were part shutting down and it was like oh i wasn't just tired and exhausted because of the time change or because you know i was working my job and and feeding horses and you know it had a lot of reason to it and then i had a lesion in my arm and they said i could have pushed myself up off the couch and it would have broke my arm so i was diagnosed and then part of that hospital stay was a oh rod was yeah, Rod was put in my upper arm to stabilize that. And this is just recent, correct? Yes. I mean, yeah. the last couple of months, right? Yeah, the end of March, like two so, months ago. Like, so right about the time, like all of this COVID-19 stuff is happening too. I mean, you know, so you, that, that may be like, I don't know, maybe that was like maybe a distraction too from what you were going through on a personal level. I don't know. I mean, but also at the same time, you know, there's the restrictions on, you know, who can come see you and that sort of thing. So, I mean, you had a lot, I mean, there was a lot weighing on you and how like just through your training was, I mean, is that how, I mean, I'm sure there are days where it was almost unbearable. But like through your training, I mean, that has to have have helped you. Oh, yeah. I mean, you talked about it, you know, just briefly a minute ago. But I mean, to if, to have you, I mean, it it, it maybe, and I I don't want to I don't want to put anything lightly, and I I want to you know be respectful to you, but maybe it was like you were built for this battle <laughs> a little bit. I guess because I mean, it's it's on my plate, but yeah, there were times it's like who how do you get nine months out from a suicide? So you're 
you know, the first year is really like numb. And so I'm nine months out, I'm already sort of down with this. I am down with this. And now I look back and it's like, oh my gosh, I, cancer was ramping up in my body while I was coping with that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think a lot, the firm belief in resilience and mm -hmm. seeing people heal, like I said, to be in the presence of when someone hugs someone that drove the vehicle that killed their loved one, you, it just shifts your whole perspective on the, the capacity of the human spirit. And that belief that there's something inside of us that's much stronger than anything that could happen outside of us. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, to I totally agree with yeah. that. So I wanna, and uh, if, if you will, I wanna talk about your husband and maybe a little bit of what was going on with him that, that you know, because I've talked to a, a few weeks ago, we talked to Kate Niemeyer and she had the same experience with her brother where we, they lost him to suicide a few years ago. And there's such a stigma surrounding suicide. We, a lot of times have heard people say it's the selfish way out. You know, there's a lot of these negative connotations associated with that. And I think a lot of people may or may not have been familiar with that or maybe even guilty of that from time to time so you know what was what do you think i mean from from maybe you know in retrospect what was what were some of the signs what were some of the things that you saw going on with him that you know maybe you may advise other people to look out for yeah he when we would have an argument he would threaten it i mean he I remember being gone. He didn't like me being gone from home and I married him very quickly. I didn't get to know him very well. And then I didn't want to get out of the marriage because I had made a commitment to it and I wanted to try to make it work. But I remember being gone and then needing his phone and wanting to Google something and, you know, like painless suicide was in a search tab. And to me, I just didn't, I mean, I, I love life. I have a strong life force energy. It's almost like I couldn't imagine I mean, mm -hmm. it just, to me, his life just wasn't that bad, um, sure. but that was to me. And then mm -hmm. there were a lot of financial things. There were a few hard years in his business that made things seem options to him that just weren't, he just wasn't going to, you know, file for bankruptcy or uh, he didn't see any other ways out of things, I guess, that, um, that he, I, I don't think it was like one thing. It was like a combination sure, sure. of factors. Right, yeah. right. And I think that's I think that's pretty common too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he had actually had, uh, I guess, had done at an, an attempt earlier in his life when he was, uh, you know, like a I don't know, young boy or early teen. Um, so I think that that was there. But to me, what I think had happened is he had done that effect of telling himself he was going to do it so many times that almost like not following through, he felt like he had, he had to, at that point, it's almost like every time he said it, and I've read stories and articles where people will walk through past the place of the bridge, they're going to jump off. And it's sort of like it numbs it, it makes it easier to cross that, that survival instinct, because, you know, an animal will chew its arm off out of a trap that, you know, will do anything to stay alive. So you're really going against a hardwired instinct to live. And they even like in law enforcement that they'll shoot themselves in the foot or the arm just to see if they have the guts to shoot themselves. So I think that he had numbed that will to live down so much by, by saying he was just going to do it, that it was sort of like his way out that eventually that's what he did. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that because I mean, you are relatively close to this as far as the time i mean it's been less than a year ago correct right it, i mean about a year ago july 16th it'll be a year yeah so i mean i i i applaud your strength in being able to talk so candidly about this because it's not an easy thing to talk about and i i hope that you being able to share that story can maybe find other people find some clarity if they're on either side of it, you know, maybe somebody who has possibly been contemplating that or somebody who knows someone who has said something but doesn't take them seriously, you know, 
just just i mean maybe just just being aware of that just maybe opening their eyes a little bit and like you say not you know you yourself you can't imagine him or someone wanting to do themselves but it's not always as simple as that unfortunately you know some people actually just really struggle with that sort of thing and you know i hope that 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 story kind of helps people understand it a little bit because it's a it's an illness it is something that unfortunately you can't cure or you can't snap out of it's something that that you have to deal with and unfortunately it has traumatic end results sometimes mm-hmm. and to know that that is you know really effective and really you know long lasting it has to you know hopefully kind of makes it brings it all home and puts it into a different perspective for people yeah and i i think that the cancer diagnosis to now be in the lane of i have to cope with cancer that i'm i just that's my priority i need to live for the people that are alive and are here and every fiber of my being wishes that Brian wouldn't have taken his life, you know, for my grandkids, for my daughter, for, you know, my legacy in the community, for, for all of it, for his parents, his siblings. And I, I mean, that to me is the biggest part. And I, I actually got to continue and do the work of helping pe- suicidal people right around this. Like people trusted that I knew something about it. And when I said to someone that was suicidal, you know that I know if you are Mm. to end your life, you will transfer your pain to your loved ones. Sure. So it's like you have this almost like a boots on the ground approach to it. Yeah, because I live in a small community. So people, Mm -hmm. people knew, you know, people know. And so instead of it, like, like, so I have a counseling practice, like half my clients didn't come back. The other half, it was like, I, I you know, took my leave. I said, I'm okay. I'm getting support. I, I can be here for you. And I was. And then they were able to trust me with that. But some didn't come back. And that's okay. And I just kind of assumed they, you know, that's awkward. Like, what do you say? Your therapist's husband took his life. Like, you know. But sure. for the ones that came back, they were usually the people who had experienced the most trauma themselves. And then, like I said, to be able to tell someone that you're going to transfer the pain, not, you're not going to just end it. And the other thing mm-hmm. I think is really, really important is that we don't always talk about is when you do consider suicide, it's the first time you feel a relief because you actually go, oh, I would be away from those bills. Oh, my family would get this life insurance. Oh, things are going to be better off. And so if we don't talk about that, like there is a sense of relief to think about it, but then we also have to say, okay, you thought about it, you got your relief. What else can we do to make it better without suicide? Sure. Yeah. To not have the devastating long lasting effects of that. And, um, you know, I, I think I I had a thought here and, you know, it kind of escaped me for a second because I kind of got lost in what you were saying, but, I was talking, I was thinking about how, again, I think it just kind of goes back to it almost your boots on the ground approach, because it, when, whenever someone is talking to their counselor, it almost think, it almost makes you think that they have like this, maybe, maybe they don't get that feeling that they've actually been there, but you have. Um, And I'm not saying that's, but I think sometimes that, that might occur to people, whether it's real or not. But, and I think it's refreshing to know that someone who has a mental health background like you do are just as effective, affected by this as someone who does not. And I think that's really powerful to know that, you know, this mental illness has no, there's no discrimination about it. It doesn't care about your race, about your, your sex, your sexual orientation, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're involved in agriculture or not. It is something that can, is, it's an equal opportunity offender. Mm-hmm. And to know that I think can be really powerful for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's chronic stress stress and chronic stress and not handling that and then trying to cope with it and, and taking, you know, like this pathway of, okay, well, what if I'm just not here? 
the the yeah. other thing I think that for me that someone reflected this to me, and I appreciate that that you know when you've been through something painful like I have, and obviously I've survived it. I'm going to continue on and be a counselor. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm still surviving it. It'll be something that's with me for the rest of my life that shaped how I see things now. But the capacity to hold my own pain then allows me the capacity to hold their pain. Uh, like they can trust that I've been in the garden or I've walked, you know, I'm in a club nobody wants to join. And so I may as well use that title or that, you know, ticket in to help other people heal or, sure. or not go yeah. through it at all. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, helps with, you know, help, maybe helps the healing process for yourself as well. So I want to make sure we touch on this because I'll be honest, this is probably the most exciting thing that I wanted to talk to you about. And that is your work with, and I want to end this on a happy note sure. as well, because I, I've talked about this before, how much I love horses and how much joy they have brought to my life and how they can provide me an escape. Um, when I am on the back, not just when I'm on the back of a horse, but when I'm, you know, when I'm a side one, when we're brushing, my dad used to talk about, um, we raced quarter horses. They were kind of out of it by the time I was older, but my dad raced, uh, pleasure quarter horses for a, a lot of years. And, you know, he would talk about how he couldn't sleep at night and, you know, he'd had, he, he owned a sail barn and he, um, had so many irons in the fire and anytime he couldn't sleep at night, something was keeping him up. He'd go get a yearling out of the stall that they were, you know, that they were breaking and he'd tie them to the cross ties and brush them. And that way he would just totally free his mind of everything that was, that was going on with him. And, you know, he'd get done with that. It would be about a 20 minute thing, put her back in the stall, go back and go back to sleep and, you know, be refreshed and be, and so to hear that there are actually people doing this work with equine therapy is like we talked about before we started recording a real kind of self-justification for me. And like, I've known, I felt the power and, you know, had testimony of, horses being able to provide a stress relief and provide therapy. And, you know, I'm really, really interested in your work in that. Sure. Yeah. I love it. And there's science that backs up what was happening with your dad, um, the heart math Institute. So we have an electromagnetic field around our own hearts that go out maybe three feet. A horses will go out maybe five, six feet. And what happens is there's heart rate variance. So you have not like your blood pressure, your pulse, but when your heart is beating, are your lungs and your breathing in sync? And what happens is the horses will help influence ours and we actually have a heart coherence with the horse. And so that calming effect is exactly what happens. Really? That's really interesting. Like, yeah. So like, why does that happen though? Well, horses are, so horses are a prey animal. So they're going to read, sure. you know, they're going to read like, is that mountain lion over there asleep or faking it's asleep? Like they have this emotional attunement to read their environment. And so mm. what's really neat is when you're connected in your head and your heart, you know, you're not trying to like fake that you're happy when you're sad inside, because if those are so different, the horses are like on the other side of the pen, they don't really want to engage with you. But if you're in a place that you're, you're in tune, so like your dad going down there, and even though he was maybe feeling that stress, he was sort of letting it happen. And so he was safe for the horse. And then that obviously mm. that brushing, that movement, but that electromagnetic field, that calming, that the heart rate will sync up with the horse. Um, they provide safety because if they're a prey animal, they're going to run away if they're fearful. So that safe where they lick and they chew um, and they're calm, that just radiates. Like we can, we, can, we can pick those things up in that electromagnetic field of our heart. That's really interesting. And, you know, I, I've really like, over the last, I don't know, probably year or so, I've really kind of um, tried to study more of animal animal behavior, and you know, especially in stock animals, cattle, horses, and then also thinking about whether a, an animal is a, a predator or a prey, and how that may affect their influence on the outside, you know, on the world around them. And it's really interesting. Like animal behavior is so fascinating to me, and you know, it's really comforting to know that animal behavior can resonate into us 
um, through equine therapy, like, like you said, you've been doing. And, you know, it's just really, it's just really wonderful to know that. So I want to like, how, like, what do you do as far as like, in a, do you have a clinic? Do you have a place where you, you know, do, do you do it at your place? Do you do it somewhere else? Where does, where does all this go down? Yeah, it happens at my place. And mm -hmm. I'm also going to be doing uh, things at a barn in Sioux Falls. It's a little bit larger population. It's mm -hmm. a therapeutic mm -hmm. riding program that wants to get going. So I'm going to be offering some sessions there. So I basically had my caseload of clients that I was working with. I get my certification and my training and I have my horses. And, and so I just offered like the clients on my caseload, Hey, you want to try an equine session? And people are like, yeah, that sounds great. I mean, you get to be outside, you get the experience of it. Uh, I've done individual sessions, family sessions. So I've had people that weren't my clients, like it's called an adjunct therapy. So you can, mm -hmm. you can come in with the horses, you can go a little further, a little deeper, a little different, and then keep going with your regular therapist. We usually start by kind of doing a calming breathing exercise to get people in that place that they're connected. Because like I said, if you're like, you know, sad on the inside and trying to act happy, or if you're angry and you're, you know, trying to hold that in. So if we just sort of calm and, and center ourselves and we, before we go in the pen, then the horses are more likely to come over. So our energy is sort of contained, if that makes sense, kind of, mm -hmm. kind of grounded yeah. and connected to it. Um, and then we ask people, just don't go up and pet them, see what they do for you. And mm -hmm. it's kind of neat. Like some of them will come and they'll stand right, right on the side. Uh, some will get sniffy. Some people can't resist to do the petting and whatnot. Sure. But we sure. sort of talk about like, how's that connection for you? Well, that's kind of neat. Or I remember a time someone got frustrated. She had connected with one horse the time before and really wanted to connect with that horse. And that horse just kept walking off. And she finally just threw her arms up, started crying, left the arena, you know, the pen. And, and I went over like, let's just put two chairs and come back. And that horse not taking her bids for connection was her relationship with her dad. And oh. yeah. And so then we talked about how's that impacting you? How could that look different? So as we're sitting in the pen in these chairs, the alpha mare comes over and just like inserts herself in between us, like this fully, fully present, like I'm needing connection right now, kind of a way. And how is that different? How could you communicate? Wow. With your yeah. It's, they're like miracle workers. Like they, they show it doesn't even seem real. Like I'm sure like, I mean, until you've probably experienced that. Exactly. And then I tell my stories and I'm like, people might not even believe me, but it's, it's so powerful. And time and time again, they do like exactly what people need in the moment. If you just have like this openness and it's, it's crazy, it's crazy good. And I love it. And so <laughs> it's so interesting. Like, and I, to, think that not only does it help with yourself or does it help recognize you know what's going on with you it you can extrapolate that to your relationships outside you know how that woman was relating to her father and you know so well you know and that you know that's I mean that's just one example I mean that's that can be I mean I'm sure the actual possibilities are endless and you know I just like we we have I haven't even thought about how how powerful this can be and that's why i was so excited to talk to you about this because um it's just another for you know another uh you know another tool in your tool belt kind of thing to where you know people can maybe realize some things that they had no idea about and i i just i think it's so cool yeah it is because it's all about relationships and that's how the segue from restorative justice to the equine work because it's all about relationships you know we are hurt and we are healed through relationship and connection and so anytime we get relationship skills those are great for our you know parent-child relationships our spouse relationships our you know co-workers it just it spreads you know, it's, it's contagious and it spreads out. And so positive, healthy relationships make positive, healthy people. So the horses are absolutely fantastic at being, at facilitating this. And they take that edge off of, you know, it's not the person, but you bring in the, the metaphor a little bit and it does become like the horses get to represent it. And the other thing, they're such truth tellers because they don't care 
what your degree is or what your bank account right, is right. or what other titles you have. They're going to be there. There's like a rawness when you're with the horse. And if they're responding to you in this kind of emotional way and this connection of learning relationship, you know, it's about who you are at the heart of who you are. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they don't have, they have no idea about worldly stuff. You know, they, all they know is the person yeah. and the energy that they're getting from you. And, you know, they can feel things that you don't even know or that you're not even conscious of. And uh, it's just, wow. I just, I, I, I could go on for days about this because <laughs> um, I just, you know, anybody asks me what, and there, I think a lot of people are surprised when I tell them this is what my favorite animal is. I think, you know, with my background and, you know, the work that I do, they always assume it's a cow. And, and I'll say, no, I mean, I love cows. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, a horse, a hundred percent, my favorite animal on earth is a horse. And mm -hmm. um, because of the power and the beauty and the intelligence that they have. And, you know, and I always say this, like we have, we have three horses that, you know, when we're not riding them, they run with our cow herd. And um, I always joke that they can smell when the gates open and they can sense when the gates open. And <laughs> that's probably, I mean, what you're telling me is that's probably true. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they, they can be in the entire other corner of a pasture and know that the gates open and they'll run and get out of it, you know? So, I mean, they're, they're incredibly intuitive and intelligent animals and to know that they, and I think uh, to, to kind of bring this full circle in knowing that, you know, people involved in agriculture to have that kind of maybe familiarity with that and, you know, maybe being able to relate to that because they are a stock animal, because they, um, you know, they're a lot of times seen as a tool used in ranching circles. Um, but to know that they, you know, can have that therapeutic effect is it just, it's, again, another tool. And it's, it's wonderful to know that. Yeah. And you had said like, how do I make it to the next day? And that's my little therapy herd. That's right outside the door that my daughter came and stayed with me through my cancer. We would go out and we would just love on the horses and they would just be present. Um, I think we, you know, we saddled them up one time that the six weeks she was here, but we spent so much time, you know, scratching on rumps and, and grooming mm -hmm. them because they're shedding. And and we had little, you know, one would then nibble on the neck of another and we'd all be connected together. And so that became something that we could do that we weren't thinking about the cancer or we weren't worried about the next treatment or, yeah. you know, so yeah, they're, you know, they, they provide an escape. Yeah. And, and that's, yeah, I mean, it's like, so I feel like it's so multifaceted there their their usefulness in this space it's just it's incredible yeah yeah and i think it makes it approachable in my rural community that people are willing to come uh -huh. check out the horses see what this is you yeah know. because like you said there's a familiarity with it mm -hmm. they feel you know they feel comfortable with mm -hmm. that and what they might pick up that's different from you know riding your horse to you know, calf rope competition or, or roundup cattle, you can take that back to your own horses. It's not just my horse. And so mm, opening mm -hmm. the door to see your horse in a different way, that yeah. changes the horse then when you see it a little differently. Yeah, really cool. Well, Chris, I want to be respectful of your time tonight. I am very thankful for you being able, wanting to come on here. And this has been an incredibly powerful conversation. And one I think that's been very unique in comparison to a lot of my previous conversations. And I'm very thankful for that, for one, because um, I think the last thing someone wants to do is, you know, get stale in their content. So I feel like not just for me, but for the people who are listening to this, um, listening to this podcast when it comes out, um, I think it's going to be really refreshing to to kind of hear um, a different perspective. And like we've talked about things that I've, we have not talked about before. And um, I thank you for that. It, it was a very enjoyable conversation. Great. We'll just have to have part two then. <laughs> of course. No, I, I, 100%. Yes. So I want to give you the opportunity to, if people want to reach out to you, how can they do that? Sure. Um, they can reach me at Chris at Circle a little hyphen, the word space.org. And circle okay. hyphen space has a website, healing with horses connection. It's all would all be there. Okay. 
sure. I'll I'll make sure and link all that in the show notes so people can have that readily accessible. Well, Chris, again, I appreciate your time here tonight. I appreciate you reaching out to me. You know, I feel like I myself have benefited from this conversation so much. So Good. thank you for that. Good. Thank you. All right. All right. Cool. All right, thanks for sticking around. Um, I have two things that I want to announce. The first one is an event that I actually am going to be a part of. On July 22nd and 23rd, 2020, um, I'm going to be a part of the Overcoming Challenges and Survive the Climb of Family Farms Summer Virtual Summit. Um, this is something that is going to be a, it's usually a, an in-person event, but obviously since we aren't doing on in-person events right now at the time, um, this is going to be something that's done virtually. I will be sharing links on my social media and on my website of this summit. I am going to be a part of the mental health discussion on the 22nd, on the Wednesday of the conference. Uh, so check that out then. I'm really excited to be a part of this. This is going to be my first gig like this since Commodity Classics. So I'm really looking forward to being in a discussion group with a lot of great people. Um, we're going to have sort of a kind of panel like we did with the Breaking Ground webinar, uh, just kind of discussing the challenges that come with with being in a farm operation and we're going to have a lot of great perspectives in this so i'm really really looking forward to this also on next week on the show we will be speaking with tara haskins from agrisafe she has a webinar upcoming i think it no it's on july thursday july 30th um, at 12 p.m it's a webinar titled mental health and farm and ranch company how communities can help i'm really excited to get to know tara uh, i we've had the girls from agrisafe on here before and i just love agrisafe and i think it's a great organization because it is founded by nurses by members of a the healthcare community but who are also connected to the land can um alinda i know linda emmanuel who we've talked to before she is she is a farmer too and um, it's just really great to have a an organization like AgriSafe that connects these two worlds like they do. It's really exciting to get to know more uh, about them. So look for that next week. Until then, I'm your host, Jason Meadows, and this has been Ag State of Mind. Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.